Would you like an opinion on a financial matter you're dealing with? Whether it's about retirement, investments, taxes, or 401ks, Scott Hansen and Pat McLean would like to help you by answering your call. To join Allworth's Money Matters, call now at 833-99-WORTH. That's 833-99-WORTH. Welcome to Allworth's Money Matters. Scott Hansen and Pat McLean. Glad you're here. Glad you're here. Glad, Glad I'm here. We're here. Glad we're all here together. Talking about financial matters. Like we do every week. And, uh, so we're all here. Uh, Silicon Valley Bank now purchased another bank. What's left of the $20 billion is what the FDIC is making up, which is represents roughly 15% of their total reserves, the FDIC. That's a big number. That is a big number. And um, last week we had Krista Snelling on from the local community bank of Santa Cruz County. And uh, if you haven't listened to that podcast, I would please encourage you to go back and listen to it. It's funny. I got, a, I got an email from a friend of mine that I hadn't talked to in several years. He sent me a text. How much he enjoyed that particular <laughs> podcast. <laughs> That's why I brought it up because I received lots of feedback about, oh, okay, this makes sense. Because what's happening is it's actually very similar to <laughs> the pandemic, the government's response to the pandemic. And the pandemic drove a lot of small businesses out of business. And the this government's is, response. And this will have a similar effect to a lot of small community banks and communities. And communities. Local lenders, local lenders. So if you and, have and listen to that and, podcast, and the businesses that rely upon those local banks. Oh, exactly. Personal relationships. We did talk about it all last week. Yeah, we did. But I'm just encouraging those people that uh, did not listen to the podcast to go back and listen to it. And we received lots of probably some of the most positive feedback we've received in the 26 years. Well, I don't know about that. <laughs> well, at least in my recent memory. One of the things on this show is we try to take um, complex financial matters and make it so that everyday person can understand those, right? And just because you you just because you've saved well or you built a business that was worth a lot of money, does not mean you are an expert in the world of finance and understand when we when we start talking about you know medium duration bonds and basis points and all, all I mean we can get into all kinds of of esoteric stuff and sometimes you flip on the television you watch some talking head and they get a little we try to we try to explain things in a manner that a typical person can understand so you can make wise choices yes make informed decisions and it's hard i always like yes i always like to say like is, could, could the average person digest this information so that is our attempt on the show and uh, to that i used to say could my mom understand but given that i've been in the business so long and my my mom doesn't pay attention to anything because she's like Oh, I know everything's going to work out fine. And if it doesn't, I can always move in with you. So <laughs> that's I'm not a fair. Sure. So she pays zero attention to this stuff. So I no longer say I want to explain this in a, in a way that my mother could understand. Well, and speaking to trying to make it understandable, uh, we're going to have our chief investment officer, Andy Stout, join us now. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit about what's happening at the Fed and 
Yeah. This uh, minor banking crisis, major banking crisis, it's hard to tell what it is. Uh, it, the contagion has seemed to have spread uh, worldwide for some of those banks that were... Um, yeah, I think the bigger issue is like, what's this really mean? What's, what, what are the repercussions to the rest of society and the economy? Over the short and long term. Yes. So Andy, thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> so even la- the feds, if we go back a year ago, the feds, there wasn't a lot of talk of uh, maybe a year and a half ago. There wasn't much talk at all about raising rates. Inflation started popping up. They said, oh, it's just transitory, whatever that means. Uh, then it's like, mean, maybe inflation's a problem. Then the Fed starts raising rates. People start believing, oh, they're going to raise rates. Oh, they're going to raise rates quite a bit. Then we saw the collapse of Silicon Valley Bank. We saw some of the what happens when the Fed's rate. What happens when the, <laughs> the Fed's print money as fast as they can for a number of years? And then what happens when they suddenly um, start raising the rates? No, not just in the U.S. economy, by the way. Yeah, yeah. So uh, last week they did a, a rate increase a week or so ago, uh, lower than was expected where where do you see rates going over the next coming quarter yeah when we look at what the fed's doing what the fed has really done over the past year i mean you're right scott it's been a drastic shift right if we look back at january 1st 2022 the market was pricing in 75 uh, or three quarters of a percent of rate hikes they did four and a quarter rate hikes because uh, the inflation environment just really flared up. And now we look at where we're at right now. We're really maybe looking at just one more quarter uh, point hike in the in the not too distant future. But then here's the interesting thing. The market's quickly expecting rate cuts, which flies in the face of what the Fed has been saying they're going to do. What do you mean? You, 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 you go and look it out and you look at the futures markets. Yep. Markets so are pricing we, a rate cut. Yeah, so when we look at what the Fed says it's going to do, and we can see that from their last meeting, uh, just you know, last week, where they released what's called a dot plot. And the dot plot is essentially where each Fed member believes interest rates will be at the end of upcoming calendar years. So at the end of 2023, the dot plot uh, showed that the, the middle dot or the median dot, which is what everyone hones in on, showed one more rate hike priced in. And during his press conference uh, following the meeting, Fed Chair Jerome Powell said no Fed member uh, is even thinking about cuts at all. So it's just one more quarter point rate hike. Now, now when we look at what the market has priced in, right, it's basically a a coin flip if they hike on uh, May 3rd at the next meeting. But after that, then what's getting priced into the market is really almost two to three rate cuts or quarter point rate cuts. So about half to three quarters of a percent of rate cuts. So the market is saying something very different than what the Fed is. And the market gets these views based on where what's called Fed fund futures trade up, which are just uh, securities that trade based on where traders will believe the, the uh, interest rate and that, will be at. And that's the median consensus, right? Of investors, which is the market. The market. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, so Andy, is, is the market, do you th- well, I don't. You wouldn't have any. Would you speculate that the market thinks that the banking crisis is going to actually sh- slow the economy uh, by itself without um, without any more interest rate uh, increases? 
Yeah, I, I think absolutely that's true. And I think the Fed believes that too, because if you go back two weeks ago when Fed Chair Jerome Powell was testifying before Congress, he told Congress that we expect rates to be higher than what we previously thought. Well, and we would expect to see that in the dot plot, right, for the 2024. But what happened? There was no move on where 2024's or 2023's dot uh, was going to be at. So it stayed showing just one more hike from the current levels. So instead of what Chair Powell was saying in front of the, of the Senate when he was testifying, what happened between now and then was you had a you know, Silicon Valley Bank, you had Signature Bank, you had Credit Suisse, and all these things happened. And so the dots stay the same. So that said, the Fed said, that's saying that the, the Fed believes that interest rates are where they need to be. And this banking crisis is essentially acting like rate hikes. And uh, we're estimating that the banking uh, crisis that's really uh, come to the forefront has probably taken about half a point of rate hikes off the table. And, and purely because of the fact that there's a, a flight to safety and that the banks are less willing to actually put money out there, uh, there's less risk that they're willing to take with their, their lending. Is that correct? Yeah, that's absolutely true. So, I mean, there's even, there's ripple effects really even by beyond that. So they're taking these less, uh, putting out less loans. Uh, they, they're not able to uh, actually loan as much either because I don't want to get in the weeds. Uh, you know, I know uh, Scott's mom may be listening, uh, but basically <laughs> She's not, the, by the way. <laughs> capital buffers, they're shrinking, which means they don't have as much money to lend. So not only are they just shoring up their own balance sheets, but because they've had to write down some assets and value, they may not be able to lend as much from a regulatory perspective. And, and do you believe that all banks – well, um, I know the answer to this. I don't believe that all banks are actually 100% truthful in how they're writing down their assets. Are you asking me if banks are ethical? <laughs> I guess. Well, I, m many of them try to, but some of – I mean – Anyway, I'll leave it at that. I'll leave it at yeah. that because it's it's really well, everyone's it, trying to manage their environment. That's right. I don't it's, care if you're you're running a construction yard, you're running an auto dealership, you're running a bank. Yeah, it's really difficult to to know what your assets are worth in this kind of environment, right? And look, like you've ever run a if you're running a, a car dealership and you've got tons of inventory, you're you're, you're not going to someone comes in. Oh, we've got so much inventory, we really need to sell some cars. If that's like you, yes. you would, really, you, you need to kind of play like, no, nah, things are fine. We've got some inventory. We'll be able to meet your needs, but you know, there's a lot of other people who might want that car. So we better make a decision today, right? That's how it. And you run in a bank. It's like maybe you've got some real issues here. Like well, we need some more depositors, but you're not going to go out and say, "Hey, we've got some issues going on here." Yeah, trust us. Please bring us your new capital to deposit with us. It, it, it's. Yeah. Yeah, they're not they're not going to do that. And the banks are in a little bit of a different situation compared to, you know, some other businesses. You know, so when they think about the assets they have, they have to break them down into three different levels. Uh, they're trading securities available for sale and health and maturity. The uh, available for sale and the trading assets, they are marked to market. So they're going to see that volatility. The health and maturity, they could just hold them yep. until those uh, bonds typically mature. But you don't really know necessarily what those are being valued at. But also some of these available for sale uh, securities that they have that they're supposed to mark to market, if they don't trade very frequently, 
Well, you don't really have a market to mark them to. So they might do a best guess to say, here's what they are. But it's that best guess can sometimes, and we saw this in 2008. I'm not saying this is 2008, by the way. But we saw banks uh, be pretty optimistic with those valuations, making their balance sheets appear better than what they were. It's right. interesting. So, Andy, why is it taking so long to get inflation under control with these rising rates? Well, it takes a long time for these rate uh, hikes to actually have an effect. So we have that side of the coin where there's usually about a six to a nine month lag before these rate hikes really affect the economy. And if you just think of how quickly the Fed has raised interest rates, really just over the past, I mean, you know, seven months, we've seen two and a half percentage points of rate hikes. That's more than half of what they've done from this entire cycle, right? So when we look at that, we have a lot more rate hikes that haven't actually made their way into the economy to truly affect the consumer. Yeah. So we have that lagged effect. But then there's some other issues which are you know, pushing on inflation on the other end. We seem to keep running into you know, some supply chain issues which have been really bumpy and those are finally appearing to you know, be in, in, the, in the rear view mirror. So we've got some improvement there, but that was really uh, one big factor that kept inflation higher than what it is. And then you just have these other things, the the war in Russia, the Ukraine, that has an effect there. And that's, certain, that's certainly come down a little bit. But there seems to be these things that keep popping up that uh, forces inflation higher. And when we look at what's keeping inflation elevated right now, we're still seeing shelter costs, even though we've seen mortgage rates you know, get to 7%. We haven't seen uh, them, the shelter costs come down as much. And that's really been what's lifting uh, the CPI or the consumer inflation. That has, that's because shelter costs, they're about 35% of total consumer inflation. And oh, is that right? we haven't seen those come down yet. And speculate on, I've been amazed. In fact, there was an article I read this week about how the, the two coasts are actually dealing with it differently in terms of, Shelter costs. Would you speculate on why that is? Why it's not actually, we're not seeing a huge reduction in home prices or rents or rents that I, I would have thought would be part of this, or is it just lagging? What would, would you speculate on that? I'm going to ask yeah, Andy Stout I, to speculate, which is a really difficult thing for him to do. <laughs> no, I think there's a, a couple of things that go into that. So in terms of the, uh, the, the shelter impact on inflation, there is a lagged effect. Just it's. I'm not going to go into yeah. the weeds here. Well, I mean, if I'm the, a, if I own an apartment complex, and I kept raising rates over the last few years because I could, now I've got some vacancies. It's going to take. I'm going to let the thing sit vacant for a few months before I come to the realization that hmm, maybe the market's changed a bit, and I better lower my my rent. Well, yeah, that that part's true from a fundamental perspective. But what I was uh, getting at was the, the there's a, a lag effect in how the government actually records CPI and takes into consideration uh, the shelter costs. So there's a inherent like I'll call it a mathematical calculation lag there. So there's that. You have the point you just brought up there in terms of uh, you know demand and supply, and I think that's the other thing right there. So when you look at the the housing market, not necessarily rental costs. But the housing market, the inventory is just still really, really tight, and that's keeping the the pressure there. And so, even when you see yeah, why would you sell your house? Why would you sell your house when you have a mortgage at two and seven eighths, and a new mortgage is going to cost you six and six and a half? Exactly, exactly. It's very, very tight. Yeah. 
Well, I've got such confidence in the feds and the Treasury Department. They'll make all the right choices. And, and Andy, are we... Cause no dislocations within the Are market. the savings rates so that at the end of the pandemic, or when, whenever that was... Um, <laughs> It's not quite over. You, well, it depends on what state you you're live a tennis in. star. You can't come to the United States unless you get vaccinated. It, it, it depends on it depends grave on grave risk. To, uh, it state you live in. But uh, are we seeing a spend down of the of the dollars that were accumulated by the average American? Is that starting to to take place, and that's going to slow inflation as well? Is is that happening? That's a great point, and it's uh, very true. So you had savings rates at the heart of the pandemic because of all the government assistance get up to about 34% uh, was on, on a monthly basis. Right wait, wait, now, wait, stop. <laughs> let's, step, let's just put a pin on that one. 34% of what? Of disposable income. Because they had nothing. They were locked in their bedrooms. They couldn't. I know they couldn't do anything, right? Okay. Uh, so they kept that money. They bought some things on Amazon. Uh, maybe they uh, got some takeout because that's about all you could do at that time. Uh, and now what you've seen is prices rising. So people are dipping into their savings and they're buying uh, more to try to uh, you know keep up their lifestyle. But we we've really gotten to the point where those savings are pretty much depleted. Uh, there might be a little bit left yeah. over uh, from excess capacity. But now we're at the point where you know, we, we believe that there will be less demand from consumers going forward yep. because of a couple of things. We talked about banking. Let's bring this first full circle here. Banks are pulling back on credit and the loans. They're shoring up their balance sheets. Consumers have pulled and drawn from their savings. They don't have as much left as they did uh, a year or so ago. So when you look at that, that's going to bring down the demand. And that's one reason that you know, we think that inflation will come down uh, from the current levels, which is 6% on a year over year basis when you look at the CPI, which is consumer inflation. But we're probably still not getting to that magical two, two and a half percent area that a lot of people would like us to get to. Uh, in the in the near future, we're not going to get there yet. In 34% during the heart of the pandemic, what is the savings rate now? What is it normally? It's like no, nothing right now, isn't it? It's 4.7%. And that is primarily by the wealthy. You ask the Andy wealthiest. any number. He just gets it. He, he, I don't even I remember all these things, Andy. And, and, and I, I've got to guess that that's probably from the top 20% of uh, earners or net worth in the U.S. where most of that's coming from. Well, if you consider, I think it's about 69% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck, or at least they used to prior to the pandemic. Uh, I would say you're spot on, Pat. Spot right. on. Yeah. Well, right, as Andy. always, Andy, um, impressed by your recall of uh, facts, figures, and uh, your grasp useless of this. Useless trivia. <laughs> well, it's not useless to him. <laughs> <laughs> or to us. We it. had him on as a guest. <laughs> kidding. Thank you, Andy. Thanks, Andy. As always, thanks for being part of the Allworth team. Thank you. I think yeah, it's really this. Um, so, by the way, Andy works out of our Cincinnati office, and uh, he's I used to be an adjunct professor at some of the local colleges back then. I don't know if he is anymore. He'd be a great college professor. I would have loved having him as a college professor. I've, I've always thought being a professor would be tough. I could do, be a professor for like one class, <laughs> but having to come up with a, a new lecture every you know twice a week or whatever. You mean one class, not one semester, one class, like one hour. <laughs> That's long. I got, <laughs> like 90 minutes. That's all I got in me. I I did it. I was a um I was a professor for a day at Chico State. No, it's a 
University. Of it's North kind Carolina. of the Harvard of the West Coast. Yeah. Oh yeah. Absolutely. Um, they asked me to come in, so I did. A, <clears throat> I spoke in the afternoon to like people who signed up for some business fraternity of some sorts, and that was a great event because people they were interested to hear what some business guy had to say. So people showed up because they were there of interest. But I it was a night like a ninety minute class. Um, a human resources class, and the teacher asked me to come, professor asked me to speak on 401k plans. So I did this 90-minute presentation on intricacies of 401k. And all. I swear to you, Pat, half the students were sleeping at their desks. And I started thinking, like, if I were in college and I had zero interest in ever managing a 401k department at a company, I would probably decide to take that time to sleep as well. <laughs> exactly. So, I don't well, know. Anyway, what? But it these with the inflation, it's a challenge for a lot of families. Oh, yes, 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 yes. There's no question. I mean, I fuel. I find my, my wife and I went to Costco on Sunday afternoon, and I <laughs> I walked all the food aisles, like because I I go to the supermarket and sometimes I'm like. How much is a loaf of bread now? How much is a dozen eggs? Well, there's a lot of factors in the reason oh, why yeah, eggs yes, are yeah. expensive right now. But, Avian. But um, just the average. Th- yeah, and um, it's really, it's a. Uh, yeah. Yeah. What, well, especially in third world countries where this uh, is taking place and the base price of, of wheat is is up. I mean, it's just, it's fuel and it's. But. Look from a from an investment standpoint, right? You're trying to figure out how do I allocate my dollars today, given where the current market is. Let's assume a recession is coming. Probably a pretty good chance, right? Let's assume a recession is coming. Just just because we enter a recession does not mean that the value of of securities that you own fall in value because they tend to be very forward looking. So like we were talking with Andy before, that the market is already betting that rates are going to come down later in the year. Uh, the market's already priced in that we're going to have some sort of recession. It's based upon new news that, that we, we come into, like Silicon Valley bank collapses overnight. Those sort of things can, can change prices Im- immediately. But otherwise, like a lot of these things are priced in. So like, I think sometimes... The concern I have for investors, for people who are nearing retirement with the retirement dollars, is they they look at this, they think, "Uh oh, um, I saw these banks collapse before in '08, and I th- saw how things went down, and maybe I better get my money out before things get worse." The challenge with that is, if you do that, how how do you get back in? Where do you know? You never know where you're at in the economic cycle. You just never know until it's over. Where we're at in an economic cycle. And nobody can really predict when they're going to come and when they're going to end. Nope. It's funny. There was an article this week, like you just mentioned, the Pat, on home prices. And there was someone that said they, they were, <laughs> someone was predicting the, I think it was a decline of whatever the decline was supposed to be this year. I'm thinking, come on, how do you know what is actually going to happen with <laughs> in the future of prices of anything? Because the price today is pretty much what people believe about the future. Yeah, so this unusual pattern, 12 major housing markets west of Texas, plus Austin, 
saw home prices fall in January. And the opposite happened in the rest of the country. So for whatever reason, if you look at it, the mostly on the West Coast is where we've seen it. And on the East Coast, in the middle of America. Seattle, San Francisco, pretty significant declines. There might be lots of things driving that. Hey, we're going to take a break here in just a moment. And um, then we'll take calls because we've got some calls. We would love to take your calls. But I uh, want to let you guys know about uh, a Social Security virtual workshop. You think, why do you guys always promote this sort of stuff? Like, we really believe that the more one has education and information, the better decisions they're going to make and the greater confidence they're going to have in their own finances. Right? And I think, Pat, you talked about last week or the week prior, like having confidence in your finances is, is really important in retirement. And it's not having boatloads of money. It's really not even about how much money you have is having the right kind of plan in place so that you are confident about your financial future. So we've got these virtual workshops that are going to, with Social Security, it's the rule of five on Social Security. It's how to determine what your retirement income needs are, kind of, kind of starting from, from there. Um, some of the, con- the considerations and tactics on when's the best time to uh, start claiming your benefits, uh, looking at taxation of Social Security, what changes might happen, and some strategies really about how do we take your overall financial situation and integrate Social Security with that? Uh, that has implications on when you might take withdrawals from your retirement accounts. Also might have implications on when you might start Social Security. So April 11th at noon, April 13th at noon, April 15th at 10 a.m. So uh, April 11th, 13th, and 15th, those three days we will be uh, showing our virtual workshop. Go to allworthfinancial.com forward slash workshops to register. And uh, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Can't get enough of Allworth's Money Matters? Visit allworthfinancial.com slash radio to listen to the Money Matters podcast. Welcome back to Allworth's Money Matters. Scott Hansen, Pat McLean. thanks for sticking with us. Yeah. Of course, if you're a podcast listener, I don't even, I don't even know if there's a commercial that runs between our breaks. It just goes, it doesn't really move. Whatever the case may be. Anyway, to join the program, 833-99-WORTH. That's our contact number. Um, also, you can uh, set aside... A, we can schedule time to talk with us at questions at moneymatters.com. We're in California talking with John. John, you're with Allworth's Money Matters. Hello, Pat and Scott. Hi, John. Hi, John. Hey, I'm looking for a little guidance on something I've never come across <clears throat> before in my 40 years of um, uh, buying, buying and selling stocks. And I understand in advance that you're not tax advisors. Well, but, we we certainly employ a lot of tax advisors, so <laughs> we're sort of certified financial planners. So yes, we I provide tax advice. Okay, so last year I bought some uh, Avaya stock, and it had been in 2021. It had been up over 28 dollars. Last year in May, it came down to a, just under five dollars. And I thought, okay, here's an opportunity. I know the company. I used to work for them. Um, so I, I understand the industry. Um, but evidently, I didn't understand what was going on internally uh, with the company because this past February, uh, as a friend of mine says, they filed Chapter 22. It was the second time that they filed Chapter 11. <laughs> so now I'm stuck with a short-term tax loss mm-hmm. or capital gain. Maybe well, if, if you, loss. 
Well, not if you own, not not unless you sell the securities. Which may be point. which may be what you want to do. I mean, I don't know where the where they are in the process. I mean, if the if the bankruptcy has been completed and all equity holders were wiped out, then it's worthless at that time. But otherwise, you still own the security. So you even if it's worth one cent. Yeah. It, so you can't recognize the the loss until it actually has either zero value, or you uh, sell it. So what did you pay for it? So I paid four dollars and fifty cents. How much money did you spend? Ten thousand. Okay. Uh, right now, it's something called a pink sheet. Okay. Yeah, yeah it still has value. I can't sell it. Yeah, you can. You can still sell it. You can list it for it's just sale. Not, it's just not on one of the major exchanges. Yeah. So what's it trading at on the pinks? Uh, 0. 0.0002. All right. So that's pretty low. I'm not <laughs> super good at math. <laughs> it's essentially worthless now. It is worthless. But it still has value. Yes. In order to take that loss, you we actually gotta, have to yeah. sell it. Okay. So trying to – obviously – from what I've read on them coming out of bankruptcy, uh, previous uh, equity holders like me that own the stock, we're going to be wiped out. That's right. Typically. That, yeah. Yes. So, but there's so, no, but there's no hurry because you well, didn't. Well, unless it's a short, you want to take a short term loss, then you want to. Exactly. And I've got till May to make that decision. Well, it's not hard. Yeah, this isn't. Yeah, this isn't. I mean, your choices are one of two things. One is you just ignore this and wait till the bankruptcy is final, and most likely you're going to be wiped out, and then it's worthless, and then you could take a long-term capital loss, or you make a decision today and you notify your broker that you want to um, dispose of these securities in one fashion or another. Either you just simply, um, I don't know how you trans. You, you need to sell these. But Scott, you the um, them. You, there's three decisions. One is not hit the short term and wait till the end of the year and take a long term, or wait till it actually happens to you. Okay, thank you. But you want a short term loss is better than a long term. Yeah, so I would act on it now. So just put it up for sale. Take it. Okay. So okay, that makes sense to me. But then, what do I? What? How can I use it in my tax? In my taxes, do I sell some stock out of my brokerage and get a long-term capital gain, and it goes against that since it's a short term, or do I does it just come off my taxes? So it's better just to take. Well, off I get my, it. Really, I think there's a bigger question in here that, like, what is it? Your what is how you manage these investments to begin with? Because in a perfect world, there's tax planning that happens every year. And there might be some tax loss selling and there might be some tax harvesting uh, gains that you're harvesting gains at the same time to help manage a long term, your long, long term tax situation. So like I, you is most of your portfolio just individual securities that or how? No, no, I've got a couple that I just play with. Okay. Part of it is in ETFs and mutual funds. Okay, good. Glad to hear that. Okay, and so in, how much in, money do you have? IRAs and Roth. Okay. Yeah, how much money do you have outside um, IRAs and Roths, like in a brokerage account? In a brokerage account? Yeah, like um, in, anything that's outside of where your do you own? Where, do you, where are you sure. holding the shares of, of IA? Um, with Fidelity. Okay. okay. But yeah, brokerage so, account. Yeah, so what, what do you have in brokerage accounts? Probably got a little over a hundred thousand. 
Okay. So, and you own mutual funds and ETFs Correct. primarily in there, but you may at the end of the year, find that you have a short term gain that you could off use this to offset. So I would recognize the loss, the short term loss. And quite frankly, I wouldn't do anything until the end of the year in order to try to figure out what I would do yeah, with the loss. I would agree with you, Ben. Right. So you might see because these mutual funds and ETFs will distribute uh, short-term gain um, and long-term gain as well as short-term loss and long-term loss. And so the better visibility you have into that, you'll actually know whether you should sell something or let the mutual funds do it themselves. Do you follow me? Yes. So I would sell this tomorrow and take the short-term gain, and then I would just wait and see. Short-term loss. I'm sorry, the short-term loss, and I would wait till the end of the year to see what the rest of the portfolio was doing before I made any decisions on how I was going to harvest loss myself. But I got it okay. as a rule of thumb. I, I'm just telling you, as a rule of thumb, we like to manage loss when it when it happens, which means we, we'll recognize loss just so that you put it in the bank so that you can off, uh, offset it against gains at some point in time under current tax law. And the, because the current tax law allows a step up in basis to death right. for whatever reason, I don't understand it. Um, it, it, it. It drives how you actually make these loss gain decisions in the portfolios. Okay. Well, I'm a buy and hold kind of guy, so I'm not going to have any – long-term gains uh, or, or even well, excuse me, short-term well, gains. No, no you, to you might, it. you might, you might in the mutual funds of the ETFs you own. You might sell some shares of a S&P 500 and on the same day go around and, and buy a, a total stock market index, which is going to be correlations highly, uh, is highly correlated there. But it, it, the only reason you would do that is to take some of the gains that you know you're going to have to pay in the future and use them and use these losses to offset that. So now you've got, you've just taken a future tax and eliminated it or locked it in at so, a lower so rate. There's, so there's two ways it happens. One is the mutual funds just do it for you and you have no control over it. And the other is you do it. Yeah, you manage it. Yeah, and that's why I'm saying you wait towards the end of the year to see what the, the distributions from the mutual funds and they will tell you in advance what their distributions they think they're going to be, and then you decide how you want to use those. Okay. Yeah. So get rid of the stock this week. Yeah. Yeah. Sell it immediately. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And I don't know the process of going selling a stock. It might actually cost you money to get rid might, of these things. It might cost you something to get it rid of them. It might cost you 30 or $40 to get <laughs> rid of them. I don't know. Yeah. And uh, it may take a couple of days. But uh, the tax planning is a big issue with investment planning. Like, so uh, Morningstar and Vanguard have both done studies that look at the values that an advisor can bring. And a, a, a good chunk of that comes from just the proper kind of tax planning, the kind of things that we were just talking about with John, where look at the portfolio on an ongoing basis and like, we know that when you've got gains where they'll eventually be taxed, how do we structure those? We know that dividends are going to be taxed. We know interest is taxed at a different rate than qualified dividends. What do we hold inside retirement accounts? What do we hold outside? What do we hold inside of a Roth? All of those sort of that, that kind of planning, that kind of planning could add up to an extra 1% a year in overall return. Well, and not only that, Scott, because of the use of technology that tax loss harvesting and gains is the efficiency is much better than it, it once was, yeah. just the use of technology. So appreciate the call, John. Yeah, thanks for, uh, thanks for the call.
just want to remind our, our listeners, Pat, we've got, we, our organization, we've been in this radio program for 27 years, almost 28 years. We've done hundreds, if not thousands of educational workshops over the years, maybe thousands if we had them all together. And we do a ton of, of, of educational materials online. So on, on our website, on our website. So on our website, you can go into our learning library there and I'll see all kinds of different uh, information on topics. So if you're trying to figure out, does it make sense to do a Roth? Do I, spend some time on our website. You're looking, I mean, there's, there's tons of materials there between uh, there's kind of virtual workshops that you can take part of. There are uh, previous seminars you can view. There are white papers. There are articles. You can sign up for our weekly newsletters, or you could just yeah, call. We have a weekly newsletter that comes out every Saturday morning that has a couple co- uh, articles in it on what we think are uh, pertinent to you and what our what our re- readers uh, are interested in as well. We track what people are actually reading on the websites and our, the newsletters, what they're opening. Or you could just call the firm and ask to talk to an advisor. And it's well, that, that easy. as well. But it's that easy. It can be. Unless you're a jerk. Well, that's not it. <laughs> it's not hard. <laughs> it's not. Anyway, allworthfinancial.com. If you haven't been on the website in a while, I would encourage you to do so. I uh, hope you enjoy the rest of your weekend. It's been great being with you. This has been Scott Hansen and Pat McLean of Allworth's Money Matters. This program has been brought to you by Allworth Financial, a registered investment advisory firm. Any ideas presented during this program are not intended to provide specific financial advice. You should consult your own financial advisor, tax consultant, or estate planning attorney to conduct your own due diligence.